together in spirit and in truth. Um, let me just read, if, if you'll stand, from Colossians chapter 4. Um, I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. Uh, Colossians chapter 4, verses... Actually, we're going to start verse 2. I'm going to read through 5. Devote yourself to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God may open up to us a door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned, in order that I may make it clear in the way that I ought to speak. Conduct yourself Conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we just thank you so much for the blessings that you have given us and the great things that you have done in our lives, Lord. We want to honor you, and Lord, give us the opportunities this week to speak your name at work, at home, wherever we go. Lord, just open the doors, open the opportunities for us to share our faith, Lord. There's a dying world out there that needs to hear from you. And Lord, speak through us that we will will speak your truth and that it won't be for our glory, but it will be for your glory and honor. And we thank you so much for just being here. Lord, we just want to worship you and love you with everything inside of us. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. why we have gathered here this morning because great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and that's what we're going to do we're a little bit fewer in number this morning it looks like but it doesn't matter we're going to praise the Lord anyway and we're going to uh when he when we leave here today we pray that he's going to be satisfied with our heart of worship let's all stand 
How majestic is your name, O Lord, among the earth. Let's, uh, let's sing together, may we? Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Oh Lord, we praise your name. Oh Lord, we magnify your name. Grace of peace, mighty God, O Lord God Almighty. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. holy and just. By His power we trust in His love. Let's sing this together, may we? <laughs> Great is the Lord, He is holy and just. By His power we trust in His love. Great is the Lord, He is faithful and true. By His mercy He proves His love. Great is the Lord and worthy of glory. Great is the Lord and worthy of praise. Great is the Lord. Now lift up your voice. Now lift up your voice. Great is the Lord. Great is the Great is the Lord, He is holy and just, by His power we trust in His love. Great is the Lord, He is faithful and true, by His mercy He proves His love. Great is the Lord and worthy of glory, great is the Lord and worthy of praise. Great is the Lord, now lift up your voice, now lift up your voice. Great is the Lord, great is the Lord, great are you, Lord, and worthy of glory. Great are you, Lord, and worthy of praise. Great are you, Lord, I lift up my voice. I lift up my voice. Great are you, Lord. Great 
hope we're here this morning. I hope every one of us feel that way. You kind of have some sour looks on your face. I don't know. We're singing, great is the Lord, and you have frowns. I don't understand that. But folks, okay, let's go. I lift your name. Let's lift up the name of the Lord Jesus right now. Lord, my heart and so far away. Let's lift our voices and sing that together. I
Good morning. Uh, this morning I would like to uh, introduce a friend to many here. I had the privilege of having uh, breakfast with him recently where he shared uh, what's going on in, uh, in his life and with his ministry and with his family. Um, so with nothing else, if Brian Furpro, uh, if you would welcome him as he shares with us and gives us an update. Don't like behind podiums and stuff, okay. Um, yeah, my name is Brian Furpo, and uh, my wife Terry and I, uh, we've been in Thailand since 1990, and uh, Grace has been uh, uh, on our support team financially and in prayer since 1993, and so we are partnering with you in Thailand. We're very thankful for you guys. Uh, before I give an update, we do have, uh, Q asked me to share a Bible verse, and so uh, Psalm 147.3, I think everybody knows that it says God heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. So I think we can all pray for Jim Franklin today uh, with Auburn's, Auburn's loss yesterday. I, I'm an Auburn fan too, so I'm not making fun of him because I'm an Alabama fan. I watch the game, and so I uh, don't turn to antidepressants, Jim, or anything like that. Just the, the Bible is enough for us, Jim. He heals the brokenhearted. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, my name is Brian Furpo. I work for Campus Outreach in Thailand. Um, so, the next slide, this is my wife and our two remaining children who are still with us. That's uh, Caleb. He's not the older, oldest uh, one. He's my youngest son, actually, but he's taller than all of us. Uh, he's um, 16 now, and then that's my Thai daughter who's still at home, and she's 21. She just turned 21 and graduated from high school. Be praying for her. She's seeking... Uh, she's trying to pass the SAT in order to go to uh, a school in Bangkok, Thailand, called Chula Longhorn University. So be praying for that. Uh, next slide. Um, yeah, so we, we've been in Thailand uh, for 29 years. We were in Bangkok for eight years. We were in uh, the northeast of Thailand, and that's where uh, the team that, uh, that David and, and uh, Jim came on and uh, several others from the church, they came to Kongen about, what, five years now, I guess, five years ago. And uh, helped us do some work there. And, and um, so we were there in Thailand, Konken, uh, which is right near Laos, um, for 18 years. And uh, then we've been in the north of Thailand uh, for the past three years in a city called Chiang Mai. And so Chiang Mai is a metropolitan city. A lot of people who know Thailand have uh, talked about Chiang Mai. It's in kind of a mountainous region. And we have a lot of expats, a lot of, a lot of retirees in our city from around the world. And... Uh, but that's our team. Um, so I entitled that slide "Growing and Multiplying." When I first, moved, when Terry and I moved to uh, Chiang Mai, uh, that team was only about six, and uh, so the Lord has really multiplied the laborers there. You'll see a lot of white faces there. Uh, if I put up a slide of our ministry in Konken where we left, uh, you would not see any white faces. Uh, so our desire is to. Uh, create slim movements. That's what we call them. Slim movements, which stands for sustainable, labor-producing, indigenous, multiplying movements. And so uh, the Lord raised up a, a wonderful movement in Konken that continues to grow. It actually has grown faster since the uh, Americans left. It's been a real testimony to God's faithfulness and also the principle that, uh, that ties can reach ties better when they are equipped when they are equipped, and so that's what our desire was, and we just, uh, I go to Konkan about every six weeks, and Terry goes about every 
three months and we kind of we do staff training and, and we have leadership team meetings and stuff like that with them. And then uh, our team in Chiang Mai, we're at two universities there, uh, Chiang Mai University and Majo University. And one of the reasons why Terry and I moved to uh, Chiang Mai was because there was a campus there called Majo. And uh, Campus Crusade said it had been the most fruitful campus that they'd ever had in the country and more of their staff uh, had come from there. And so um, they are actually a real small ministry now. And uh, so the guy that's head of Campus Crusade and I have been friends for uh, ever since I've been in Thailand. Matter of fact, before I've been in, I went to Thailand, uh, he was there. And so he said, hey, why don't you guys uh, go to Majo? And so we're really thankful for God uh, doing that. The next slide. Um, that was a retreat we just had on the, uh, you can see there, it's, uh, you can't, it says Ganyayon, which is September. So that's 20, the September 21st and 22nd. At, um, we had a church, uh, uh, we had a retreat called Endgame. So all you uh, Avengers, uh, I'm with a, I've been working, Terry and I have been working with a bunch of uh, graduates who just graduated from SEMO University there in uh, southeastern Missouri. And they've, we've been uh, investing in them in the last two years. And so that's a, ret- a retreat picture we just took, uh, like I said, two weeks ago. And we had 36 students go and 25 non-Christians. Cool story is my wife... Uh, and one of the girls were on campus one day, and they met a group of students, uh, all of them English majors at Majo. And uh, so they met one, and then she brought some more people, brought some more people. In the next day, 17 of the 37 English majors in one, one faculty on campus signed up to go to our evangelistic retreat. And uh, one of them just came to Christ, um, I heard, uh, when I, when I've been, since I've been here about a week. And so praise the Lord for that. And then the last slide I have is what we do in Thailand is we, uh, we do evangelism and discipleship. And the slogan or the, our vision for campus outreach is to build labors, to glorify God by building labors on the campus for the lost world. Building labors on the campus for the lost world. And so uh, we do that through four E's. We evangelize, establish, equip, and export. And so um, just a week before, this was a week before that retreat that we just had, uh, we were there, and, and um, we were training our uh, Christians. So uh, when we moved to um, Majo three years ago, we didn't know any Christians. Uh, there were no Christians involved with campus outreach. And so that's a group of 11 students that have come to Christ in the last three years who we were equipping uh, to uh, spend time on the retreat. So that we were having this retre- retreat, and we wanted them. And so we broke them up into rooms so that they could be staying with fellow students that aren't believers, and we were equipping them uh, on how to talk to them, uh, how to share their faith, how to uh, basically establish a relationship with people, which is really different in Thailand because uh, seniors, juniors, fr- uh, sophomores don't usually associate with freshmen. And so we were saying, you know, that's, but that's not biblical. biblical. The Bible says that we should, we should, that we're all equal and that we need to uh, that we need to share Christ with people who don't know Christ. And so, um, yeah, so that's what we do there. And the last slide I have um, is prayer requests. So if you remember Thailand, I know a lot of you guys pray for us there in Thailand. I think the first request we have is that we would see 20 people come to Christ this year. We, um, we've been trusting God that those 11 Christians that we had, that they would multiply their lives. And so we've been challenging them and trying to help them, my wife and I, and then we have a team there also of um, other Christians who are, we're trying to help them uh, multiply their lives and each of them see someone come to Christ. And so 
uh, we're trusting God for 20 new believers this year. And then the second thing was that God would sustain the health of our aging parents here in Alabama. My mother lives in Hartzell. She's 82. Uh, I went to visit her on Wednesday. And my mother and father-in-law, who I stay with uh, right off Alford Avenue, he's 82. And he's got some bad sciatic nerve uh, issues. And he's having a hard time walking. And uh, so I took him to physical therapy on Friday. And uh, it's just difficult. Uh, I live about 14,000 miles away. So I don't know how far you live away from maybe your uh, aging parents, but it ain't 14,000 miles. And so uh, it's a difficult thing for us, and thankfully we have some people who help. My mom lives right uh, down the street from my sister, and uh, my other sister lives in, uh, not far from there, and my brother lives about three minutes away. And so uh, thankful for them and helping them. And then the last thing is that God would raise up two more long-term campus teams for the, for the north of Thailand. So Terry and I are committed to stay at least three more years uh, in Thailand, and one of the things we'd like to see is we have, uh, we have a full-time campus team on one of the campuses we're on in Chiang Mai. And Chiang Mai University, we're trusting God. We have two staff there, but we'd like to have a full campus team there. And then about a, two hours north of us is a city called Chiang Rai that has two campuses that there's not a campus ministry on right now. And so we're trusting God that God would raise up uh, another team to go to Chiang Rai, uh, Thailand. So when you think about us in Thailand, please pray for us. I think I might have one more slide of our family. Is that it? That's the end. Okay. So just pray for us, please. And uh, thank you so much for being on our team. And uh, we're just so grateful for you guys. And uh, we pray for you. I, I appreciate the live feed on Facebook. Uh, every week, and I uh, don't don't watch it every week, but I always I like it to come up on my feed, so I remember to pray for Grace uh, Community Church, and we're trusting God with you that God would continue to multiply and bless this church uh, for great things. So thank you so much. Don't do stairs well without a handrail. Deacons, handrail. <laughs> handrail. Thank you so much, son, for being there. He came over really to comfort Brother Franklin. Harley's an Alabama fan, and of course, we all know who Brother Franklin is for, and he needs consolation today. And it's significant that a good friend of, uh, University of Alabama could sit by him and, of course, seek to comfort him. I didn't want you all to see me stumble going up the stairs. I, it's embarrassing when you reach a stage of advanced chronology and you have to be helped up and down stairs. But I know the deacons are going to solve this. And the next time I preach in this place, it's going to be different. Amen. All right. Thank you so much. It's an honor to minister this morning and to share God's Word with you all. I'm delighted uh, to uh, speak God's Word anytime He gives an opportunity. I want you to turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth, chapter 3, uh, chapter 4. 
we have ten verses listed, but I'm going to read a few from chapter 4 for our text this morning. And we want to have a word of prayer. Ruth chapter 4, beginning with verse 7 and reading through verse 10. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning the redemption and the exchange of land to confirm any matter. A man removed his sandals and gave it to another. And this was the manner of attestation in Israel. So the closest relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. And he removed his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses today that I have brought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. Moreover, I have acquired Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, to be my wife in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance so that the name of the deceased may not be cut off from his brothers or from the court of his birthplace. You are witnesses today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And let's express a word of thanks. Anthony, it's so good to see you this morning. We prayed for you in the service last week, and God has touched him. He was able to be here and sing with the choir. We thank God for that mercy. Let's go to the king in our prayer today. Loving Father, how we thank you today that we can be assembled in your name. We remember the words of scripture. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. We believe that you are here today, Father. We believe that you wish to be glorified. We believe, Lord, you have been glorified in the singing of songs of praise, in the praying, in the worship, in the fellowship. And by faith we believe from the ministry of your word. Our Father, we do thank you that our brother Anthony could be with us today. We bless your name for touching him. May his recovery become complete. And may he be given many years in which to serve you and minister for you and to his family and loved ones. We thank you too, Father, for Brother Farpo, Furpo, and we thank you for the work that is being accomplished in the land of his service. We pray a special blessing upon him, Lord, in his homeland ministry to his family. Touch him, Father, and be pleased to bless him and help him. Continue to prosper his labors abroad. How we thank you that as a church, we can partner with him and with so many others, Lord, in nations of the world preaching the gospel. And now, Father, because we're needy, We pray that you will feed us with spiritual food that will help and strengthen us as the Lord tarries in his coming. We pray in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen.
the last time I spoke here, our focus was upon Ruth, an Old Testament woman, who by the grace of God left behind a godly life print for all to follow. Today our focus will be on Boaz, a wonderful man, contemporary with Ruth, ultimately her husband, and who pitches for us a beautiful example of Christ the Redeemer. And our focus will be on him, Boaz the Redeemer. And we see in the scripture that he is a model of our Savior, who in his redeeming work paid the debt that our sins had created. Now Ruth had come to the Lord through the witness of migrant Hebrews in her country, Elimelech, Naomi, and their sons Malon and Chilion had gone to the country of Moab because of economic need. The harvest was not good in their homeland. And they went abroad in an attempt to improve their economic situation. While they were there in the country, their witness planted seeds of faith in the heart of Ruth. And ultimately, she came to know the true God of heaven and earth and became a wonderful testimony for him. Well, in time, the sons that had gone to Moab, this pagan country that worshipped an evil god called Molech, she had come to faith. The boys, Malon and Chilion, had married girls there. Their names were Ruth and Orpah. And things seemed to go well for a while. But then tragedy struck. Tragedy sometimes comes without warning. It's a phone call. I can remember two phone calls I have received, one concerning the death of a daughter and another the death of a spouse. It comes without warning. Economic need arises, family conflicts, medical needs, and all sorts of things happen. And what were those things that happened to Naomi? She lost her husband, Elimelech. And the Moabite girls lost their husbands, Malon and Chilion, leaving just three widows behind. It was a hard time for widows. No economic security, no food banks, no social security. They had a need. Naomi decided to return to her homeland of Israel. And ultimately, Ruth decided to go with her. Orpah remained behind. And nothing else is known of what happened in her life. Once they arrived back in their city, the people spoke to her. Oh, Naomi, you're home. She said, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant, but call me Mara, which is bitterness. And she said, the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. In spite of her heartache, an element of bitterness, God had used her in the life of Ruth. 
So here they are, two women back in the homeland, needing food and economic security. And Ruth says, well, let me go out and glean. The Hebrews had a wonderful custom. The poor could go out in the fields and gather grain that the reapers didn't gather and which was left behind. Providentially, she landed in the field of Boaz. And a wonderful story was going to unfold as a result of her providentially being in the place of this individual, Boaz, who's such a marvelous model of Christ. I read through and studied through the book of Ruth. There are at least 25 analogies between the life of Boaz and the life of the Savior. He is but one person in the scripture that left behind great models of the coming Christ. I think, for example, of Enoch who walked with God even as the Lord Jesus walked in the will of his Father. And, of course, there was Joseph, sold into slavery by jealous brothers, which and whom providentially he came into the position of the prime minister of Egypt. And when his brothers came down to buy grain, he was the prime minister. How would he treat his brothers who had sold him into slavery? He forgave them. Even as the Lord Jesus forgave, on the cross he said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. There was Moses who liberated slaves in Egypt, from Egypt. Just as the Lord Jesus liberated and freed us from our bondage to sin and paid the price that set us free. There was King David, the warrior king. And what a king he was. And, of course, the Lord Jesus. He modeled him, not only as a king, but as a warrior. And the Lord Jesus is called in the scripture, King of kings. And on his vesture and on his raiment, when he comes in his glorious triumph over his enemies, on his vesture, on his thighs, written, King of kings and Lord of lords. He will reign forever. Who was wise like Solomon in his time? Even our Lord Jesus, it is said of him, that in him is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Peter, of course, was a model of Christ after Christ had come. Peter preached to thousands just as Jesus had preached to thousands on the Mount of Olives, the difference being that Jesus provided, uh, he provided fish sandwiches for the people. Peter couldn't do that. He provided for them. Of Paul, it is said, he served the Lord with power a reminder of what Jesus said when he began his public ministry. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach liberation to the captives 
set free. John was a model of Jesus, the apostle of love. And of Christ it is said he loved them to the end. Some 25 ways in Ruth that he modeled Christ. Here are a few of them. Some select ways in which his life is a portrait of Jesus. He prayed for his field workers, even as Christ prayed. I pray not only for them, but these alone, but for them that will believe on thy name. He gave food to poor Ruth and Naomi, even as Jesus provides our needs. He was a comforter to Ruth, even as the Lord Jesus said, I will send you a comforter. And he became a kinsman. The Hebrews called it Goel. He became a Goel, a kinsman redeemer. And let us see how he became. How did he qualify to be this Goel? There are at least three biblical requirements for such an action. Simply stated, the Goel must be related. The Goel must be rich. The Goel must be resolved. And let's analyze it as it is outlined for us in the scripture and as it appears in your bulletin insert. Let's notice, first of all, be related. And the scripture is clear. The Goel, the kinsman redeemer, had to be related by blood to the individuals redeemed. Scripture is clear. One of his brothers or one of his blood relatives may redeem him. And so it's very, very clear. We thank the Lord for his model and for his example. And this action of redeeming and paying the indebtedness that a family member might have incurred or a deceased brother might have incurred, what a model it is. It shows that God is interested in family and in family need. And it's a reminder to us if we have a suffering family member we ought to do all we can to help them. God is interested, you see, in widows. God is interested in fatherless children. And he wants us to do what we can for them. Much of my life as a missionary in Alaska was spent in a home trying to care for kids who were neglected and mistreated and abused by their parents. We had a children's home there, and I was honored to be on the staff of that children's home. So the Redeemer had to be related by blood. That's the biblical plan. The historical pattern comes through loud and clear in the example of Boaz. It says in the scripture, and she, Ruth, answered, I'm Ruth your maid. 
So spread your covering over your maid. You are a goel, a close redeemer. And so we thank the Lord for that example. What a godly man Boaz was. He's the kind of person every godly parent one is a son-in-law to their daughter. Every kind. What a man he was. As I analyzed his life, I found myself thinking about my maternal grandfather. What a man of God he was. My earliest memory of prayer was being in the kitchen of his home. He had morning prayer above the bucket in the kitchen, the bucket of water. There was a shelf and there was a Bible. My earliest memory of the Bible is grandfather reaching for that Bible. My earliest memory of church is riding to a church. And yes, it was in a mule-drawn wagon. It was wintertime and my grandmother covered me with a quilt because it was what a man of prayer and he prayed oh my goodness he prayed for his descendants through the 10th generation I don't know all of his descendants they are scattered far and wide but I know at least about 30 of them and among those descendants they are preachers of the gospel they are church leaders they are missionaries. One right now is a missionary in Ethiopia. One, by the grace of God, was a missionary to Alaska. He's the sinner who stands before you this day. And also among them are two of the young people in our church. And one is the pretty daughter sitting by my dear wife with a good husband, so glad to have them here this morning. It was necessary that there be a blood relationship for the Goel. And the words showing him to be a Goel are frequent in Ruth. In Ruth 3.2, is not Boaz our Goel? You are Goel. Ruth says in chapter 3, verse 9. Boaz says in chapter 3, verse 12, I'm a goel. Chapter 3, verse 13, I will redeem you. Chapter 4, verse 9, in the verse or the passage I read when he was with the public assembly and he identifies himself. You're a witness that I'm doing the redeeming work and I'm acquiring Ruth the Moabitess as my wife to raise up memory of the deceased and the departed. And from that wonderful union, there came a baby boy. The neighborhood women named him Obed. And Obed and Ruth became the great-grandfather and great-grandmother of King David in the historical lineage. So Boaz was related by blood. But then our Lord Jesus is also related. How was he related? 
How did he become a part of the human family? The scripture says the word, meaning Jesus, was made flesh. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The scripture says in Luke, she brought forth her firstborn son. Like us, the Lord Jesus had human blood, although not stained with sin. He was sinless. He had human blood, and his title was Son of Man. When you trace his ancestry, there's 76 listings of his ancestral pattern in the book of Luke, and he, go, Luke, and he goes right back, Adam, as we all do. He was one of us, Son of Man, as well as Son of God. So, as Moses outlined, be related by blood. As Boaz demonstrates a relationship by blood. As Jesus demonstrates a relationship by blood. So the first requirement for the Redeemer was to be related by blood. The second requirement for Redeemer, kinsman Redeemer, was to be rich. Listen to the scripture. If a fellow countryman of yours becomes so poor he has to sell part of his property, then his nearest kinsman is to come and buy back what he has sold. And again, this promoted economic security in the family. It kept the properties in the family. And again, it implies families should look out for each other. Got a needy family member today? They maybe could use some help from you. God, give us direction. So, there was care for the people with need. And the Mosaic mandate is very, very clear. If that fellow countryman of yours becomes so poor, redeem that individual. It's also like the Boaz model. The scripture is very clear. It says in, in the scripture, Luke chapter 2, Now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth. He was what we might call today a Fortune 500 man. A man of great, great wealth. Some of you may have heard my story when I was six years old. By that time, my parents had separated for the second and final time. The court's decree was that I would spend time with my father and time with my mother. And it worked out ultimately that I stayed with my dad and my paternal grandmother for being near a school that I attended, Gerard Elementary in Phoenix City. And I spent weekends with mom who worked and usually had a rented 
efficiency room that she lived in alone, being quite poor. And so I spent time with mom. Now, I had to get on a bus, the city transport system between Phoenix City and Allen and Columbus, Georgia. And you deposited a nickel in the machine when you stepped on the bus. And if you had to get on another bus, you asked for a transfer. And you'd go to the transfer station and wait for the bus you needed and get on and hand them your transfer. And why people let a six-year-old ride a bus at that time, only God knows. I'd never do it today. I'd be reluctant with a teenager, let alone a six-year-old. But I did that for a number of years. But here I am, a six-year-old, in the waiting area, the transfer station. I reached in my little pocket. And I discovered there was no transfer there. What could I do? No cell phone. No family member or friend close by. And I did what most little kids would have done. I began to cry. (laughs) Don't you feel sorry for that little dude? (laughs) I began to cry. And I'm standing there bawling. And all of a sudden, I hear a voice. Little boy, why are you crying? And I looked up into the face of a kind lady. And through my tears, I poured out my story. And then she said to me, I'll give you a nickel. And with a nickel, my debt was paid. I could go on. Fast forward several years later. I'm a grown man preaching in the church that my mother then attended, Benning Park Baptist Church in Columbus, Georgia. In that service, I told the story I've just shared with you. After the service, I was chatting with several of the people in the congregation, and all of a sudden, a little old lady came walking up to me. She said to me, I was that lady. I was able to profusely thank her. And as I think about the story, someone has already paid my price. But one day, I'll be in his presence and I'll profusely thank him for my redemption. Are you grateful today for your redemption? He's paid in full, as the songwriter said. Paid in full. Thanks be to God. We're all as hopeless as that six-year-old boy was without a nickel or transfer. But God is merciful. And he, in effect, looked down and said, I'll pay your debt. And he paid it in full. Now, Boaz is a model, but uh, we see the redemption message in Jesus. Was Jesus wealthy and rich? His parents weren't. When they took him to the temple to dedicate him to the Lord, they didn't have an animal to sacrifice. The Mosaic law permitted turtle doves to be sacrificed. 
They sacrificed turtle doves. And the Lord Jesus, it is said in the scripture, did what? He said, the Son of Man has not anywhere to lay his head. When I was a young believer, active in a teen group in my church, we used to sing a chorus that goes like this. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth in every mine. He owns the rivers and the rocks and rills, the sun and the stars that shine. Wonderful riches, more than tongue can tell. He is my father, so they're mine as well. One of the great prophetic psalms, and one of these days I'll maybe preach on it in Psalm chapter 2. But in that great psalm, there's a prophetic word where the father speaks to the son and he says these words, Ask of me, and I'll give you the nations of the earth and the uttermost part of the earth for your possession. He owns it all. He owns it all. Jeffrey Epstein, who's been in the news of late, was proud of the fact that he owned an island out in the sea and he had a mansion and he possessed millions in a bank account. By the way, he's in jail today where he needs to be. But he was so proud of that little dot in the sea that he owned. I think about him. The time is coming when Jesus will sneeze and blow it all the kingdom come. Yes, he will. The wealth of Jesus can't be measured. I found myself thinking about money. <laughs> there are not enough numbers to measure his wealth. There are not enough galaxies to declare what he owns. He owns it all. What did he choose to pay for our redemption? Blood. Blood. The scripture is clear. You were not redeemed. You weren't set free with perishable things as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blame. There's a legend about a rich man who died. And he was on his way to heaven. He decided to try to take some of his gold and silver. And he arrives at the gate, and St. Peter greets him and says, what is all that stuff you got with you? He said, well, this is my gold and silver. I thought maybe you all would enjoy it up here. And Peter says, I wish y'all had stopped bringing that stuff. Peter lived in southern Judea for a while, you understand. <laughs> I wish y'all had stopped bringing that stuff. We walk on it up here. You weren't redeemed with silver and gold, but precious blood of Jesus, the lamb without spot and without History tells of kind people who sometimes paid the price. The Roman Empire was full of slaves, Greek slaves, 
sometimes a kind owner would pay the redemption price and set them free. And Jesus began his public ministry. In Luke chapter 4, he quotes from Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. And he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he has anointed me to preach liberation to the captives and to set it free them that are bound. Jesus was a liberationist. He set people free from their sins. We cannot redeem the lost as did our Lord Jesus Christ. We can be agents and spokespersons of this Liberation that sets people free. So two requirements for being a redeemer. Be related. Be rich. But then one is be resolved. And in the Mosaic word we see, her husband's brother shall take her to himself as wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to them. And to strengthen the resolve, there was a warning given to one who would not redeem. And it was a term of reproach. And that strengthened resolve. And the surviving brother had to be resolved to perform the duty of the goel, the redeemer. And so the context of our passage shows the resolve and without it scorn again an emphasis on God's care for the family unit but look at that Bethlehem father farmer and now my daughter he says in their nighttime meeting now we talked about that nighttime meeting and we won't spend time on it but it's an interesting story they were gathered in the night, and Ruth had gone into the threshing room, the threshing floor, and was lying at his feet. And Boaz awakens. He realizes that a woman is at his feet. She says to him, spread your covering over me. You are a goel, a kinsman redeemer. Spread your covering over me. And he says, and now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do whatever you ask. And he shines as one of the great redeemers of history. Boaz gives us a picture of Christ the Redeemer. He took Ruth as his wife. Would to God that all of us had the commitment that Boaz had to obey Scripture. That's what he was doing as a redeemer. That's what he was doing as he took Ruth to be his wife. He was obeying Scripture. We exhort and encourage one another with a song, Take my life and let it be consecrated. Lord, to thee. 
we also sing to him, all to Jesus I surrender. What a more, what a wonderful model is Boaz, obeying scripture. We do well to hear the exhortation of Paul in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. God wants our bodies. God wants our minds. So the surviving brother and the Bethlehem farmer, and then there's the redeeming Savior. He said, showing his resolve, I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, to take it up. What a testimony. He says also, I have come to do thy will, O God, quoted in Hebrews, and a quotation from Psalm chapter 40. So Jesus resolved to pay our debt with blood. How was it met? Judas betrayed him. He didn't think much of Jesus' mission. Peter denied him in a weak moment. The religionists of the day wanted to kill him, take his life. Herod mocked him. Pilate sentenced him. A repenting thief on the cross beside him said, Lord, remember me when you come to your kingdom. It's not recorded in Scripture. But I have a suspicion that the devil and the demons had a party in hell. You can almost hear the wicked one's raspy voice. We've got him now. Our cause can move forward without hindrance. But he didn't know all of the truth that was coming. In the words of the song, when the Savior was hanging on the cross, he could have called 10,000 angels. But he chose not to. In the words of the song, go ahead and bury me. The day will come when you will sing. And bless God for it. I'll rise. From the dead. Thanks be to God. Was he resolved. On the cross. His final word. Was a Greek term. Tetelestai. It meant it is finished. I paid the debt in full. Thanks be to God. For his payment for us all. Tetelestai, it is finished. Like the man thanking the one who paid his debt when he was a man, myself, being that person, we will one day be able to thank the one, thank the one who paid our debt in full. Thanks be to God. Again, we're not equipped to pay the debt of sin. 
let me share with you a few suggestions in concluding remarks. What do we do with all of the scripture to which we've been exposed today? You may be here and you do not have a saving relationship with Christ. You can trust that Redeemer who will forgive your sins. Secondly, you can resolve to be thankful to him and bless his name. I thank him often for saving me and lifted me out of sin and giving me a new life in Christ. We can be an agent of redemption. I work in a part-time job, and one of the people I work with is Exhibit A Pagan. He's just about as pagan as he can be. He can fill the air with unneeded language and so on. But I've prayed for and I've been given the opportunity to talk to him about the Lord and to tell him, I want to see you in heaven. He said, well, I think I'm going to get there. I said, man, I want to see you in heaven. The Bible tells you how you can be there. And I said, by the way, do you have a Bible? No. I gave him a Bible. He took it. He told me he would read it. That's a modest attempt to be an agent of redemption. We can talk to people who do not know the Lord. We can be agents of redemption partnering with Brother Furpo and several others with whom we partner in taking the redemption message to the nations and peoples and tribes of the earth. We can look on the field and share with their ministry in our prayers and partnership. Yes, Boaz was a redeemer. He was a wonderful picture and model of Christ, our kinsman, our Goel, our Redeemer. Let's pray. We thank you, our Heavenly Father, for the work of redemption, paying the price for our sins and setting us free. We pray that if there is one here today a one who is not certain. May the prayer be uttered, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Strengthen our spirit of thanksgiving for the work of Christ. Strengthen our resolve, O oh God, to share with others and to partner with the outreach of the gospel to the nations of the earth. May our church be used in wonderful measure as Christ tears in his coming, we pray in his name with thanksgiving. Amen. How many of us this morning would sell everything that we had and give everything that we had to purchase something? But that something is broken. Seldom do we take everything that we have to buy something broken. We want it brand new. We want it working. But that's not what Christ did for us. It's not what Christ did for me.
he purchased something that was broken and then allowed me to be fixed only through what he could do through his hands. Think of that as we sing this song together.
Thank you, Ron. Such great words. We don't have to clean ourselves up. We don't have to be right to come to God. We can just come to him just as we are. And um, no other religion can offer that. As I was listening to Dr. Hughley, I was just reminded of so many classes that I took with Dr. Hughley, whether it's missions classes or Isaiah class. And just um, feeling nostalgic, just remembering just the wisdom that he invested into all of us for so many years. And I thank God for people like Dr. Hughley um, that have affected so many people for the kingdom of God. And uh, we're just privileged to have him share with us this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, as we come again before you, we are just thankful that you love us just as we are. That we don't have to clean ourselves up. That we, you know us anyways. So there's no need to hide our sin, our stains, Lord. But that you just love us just as we are. Father God, we just come before you and ask us that you will just give us the power and the strength to not live this life in our own power, but that we will trust in you, that we will trust in your strength to overcome sin, to overcome discouragement, um, to overcome shame, Lord, that we will just surrender to you every part of our life. Lord, that you will help us to be that shining light wherever we're at this week. We just thank you and bless your name. And we just thank you for everything you do for us. In your name, amen. You are dismissed.